Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, it is Michael, our resident ephesiologist and myself. I'm Andrew Johnson, a pastor at Newtown Church in Houston, Texas. It's just the two of us, and Michael, um, you and I, we enjoy reading. We enjoy we enjoy seeing what is out in the world. I'm sorry, I, all I have going through my brain at the moment are two songs, just the two of us, and you and I. Yeah, you know I what? Keep, I I'm, I can promise I'm you, I'm not going to go in that direction for our podcast today. <laughs> well, uh, no, I only bring it up because a couple of weeks ago you brought it up. So it is, every it time I hear the that us. phrase, um, I'm thinking, you know, we can make it if we try. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, listeners. So, um, we are want to stay in in the news, hear what's going on, see what's going on. And Michael, you recently stumbled across a, a piece of data, an information point uh, that Relevant Magazine held. Uh, they they passed it on, claiming the big the big red flag statistic. Red flag statistic that they were brandishing was to say that only half of Americans are confident God exists. So, as far as a claim goes, before we get into the study, what how does that strike you? Is that surprising? Is that expected? How does it hit you? Yeah, well, I don't think it's surprising. We've been seeing seeing this trend uh, for decades in the United States, and it's not just a U.S. trend; it's a global trend. I was just going back and rereading an article uh, or a paper, a white paper that was written back in 2012 uh, by I, I can't remember if he was the director of uh, this study, the General Social Survey, or exactly what his position was, but Tom Smith. Uh, was bringing our attention to the fact that the belief in God was declining globally, uh, speaking. So, um, so yeah, we're not we're not uh, surprised by the information. Uh, disappointing, I think. I, you know, for years we thought that the U.S. kind of bucked that trend towards secularization. Um, and, uh, and it did, I mean, you know, as we looked at the growth of the church and, uh, the commitment level of people to their faith, it, it did seem like for a modern country, the United States was an anomaly, uh, compared to others. And now it seems like what we're seeing is, uh, we're not so much of an anomaly any longer. We're, we're actually seeing the trending downward of faith and uh, belief in God and and so on. So, um, yeah, I think as we were just talking about a moment ago, we're, it's not so much that this is a surprise as much as it is uh, at least for us, as we're thinking missiologically about engaging the, I mean, what is increasingly the post-Christian United States, uh, what are the causes? Why is this happening here? And uh, and I think, you know, at this point, it's simply pontificating mm -hmm. to the reasons why it's happening, because I think the it's a rather complex issue. 
Yeah, I think one of the funny things about data points and specifically you watching watching trend lines, um, things occur being checked. Um, what we're seeing now doesn't mean that the result that again air quotes sixty percent of Americans don't believe in God um, or aren't aren't confident that there is a God. I want to make sure I state it rightly. Um, it's not because something happened within the last two months that made everybody go, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. You know, I was good until this one single event happened. And then, you know, I threw my hands up and said, I don't know. Now, um, a lot of these things, like you said, it's a very complex issue over a long period of time. And there may have been things that have happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, this compounding set of events that might lead general Americans to say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not as confident. I'm not as confident. Um, well, the data is showing that it's 50%, not 60%. Uh, but it was a couple uh, years ago, it was still at 60%. But we're just seeing this downward trend. Now it's hitting that halfway point. And um, I'm sure you know, the thinking here is that it will continue to decline. But it's interesting because, you know, we had Scott McKnight on last week and we were talking about those evangelicals who are deconstructing and uh, the, the idea that people aren't losing their faith. They're, they still, uh, um, they love Jesus, but they're just, they're walking away from the church. And perhaps that's created doubts in people's minds about who God is, and but again, I mean, it's a it's a complex situation. Um, well, but I think there are things, though, that we should be thinking about. If the the trends are going in this direction, then what are the things that we need to be doing today that will help to shift the track of history, so to speak, mm -hmm. so that the trend reverses from a downward to an upward? Yeah, I think so. Side note: Before we actually get to, um, I guess, dreaming, right? So we'll move on from pontificating to dreaming because that's positive. Um, I do want to stop and just put a pin on that last topic. I I will say, walking away from our conversation with Scott, um, I was a little less confident than he was about those who have begun that deconstruction process, have stepped away from the church and have said, I still love Jesus. I think I'm done with this whole, this version of this organized religion. Like I'm frustrated. I think the people who I have seen, uh, they're also real angry at Jesus and also not, they're not in love with him. The, so the people who end up stepping away have also released that grip on what they were certain about in Jesus or their love for him. I think there's questioning there as well. Uh, so uh, to answer your question, it seems that it seems that the church has has lost it seems that the church has lost their big love for and pursuit of Jesus as Lord. Um, mm. This was discussed. This is a, a core tenet, the center of what Alan Hirsch in Forgotten Ways 
uh, calls mDNA, that movemental DNA, and the absolute center of it is Jesus is Lord. Everything that flows in that movemental DNA that he talks about getting to that Jesus movement, it has to start with Jesus as Lord. And one of those topics that we talked about um, the other week at that Movement Leaders Collective uh, was the fact that Jesus is Lord is heard as a mental assent or a claim to agree with, to say, yes, I agree. And thus, because I agree, I'm saved. It's only a salvific claim as opposed to Jesus is Lord. And now my whole life needs to actually fall in line and serve him to pursue him, to honor him. He is, he is the lead. He is the one we serve. And I'm making this long-winded explanation to say, Jesus is Lord is a salvific claim, but it is not only salvific. It is, it is one that should affect my day-to-day, how I live mm-hmm how I treat people, um, whom I serve, right? That claim of Jesus is Lord should be something that like, I am looking around at my life every moment, every aspect of who I am, and it all should fall under him. It all should be now shaped by this, this Lordship of him as my whole life. Again, this long-winded explanation to say, I think that's where the church should start. If we, if we are actually saying what is going to move that track, that trend line of the future, is the, trip, the church actually being very, very concerned <laughs> and talking about Jesus as Lord as not just or only a salvific claim, something to give mental assent to, but to move whole lives under and live like Jesus has called us to live, Mm -hmm. live the way of Christ. I I think that was a very long way to say we need to live and love like Jesus. But that's all flowing from that claim that Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, What are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the the identity-based discipleship that we talk about Mm -hmm. and how we use the Venn diagram and talk about that. Yeah, there's a system of beliefs that we have. Uh, but they're going to correspond to the way in which we behave, and it's all going to be connected to the group that we're belonging to. Mm-hmm. So the belief, behavior, and belonging um, are integral to who we are as followers of Christ. And I think what we're seeing and what you're indicating in this idea that uh, our belief as Jesus as Lord is not lining up with the things that we're living out, mm-hmm. then there's really something that's going on in uh, in our discipleship, in our, our proclamation, uh, our Sunday sermons, something's happening in those places that Jesus as Lord is not being communicated in a way that's really capturing the hearts of people. And, and I think a part of this, that part of the issue is systemic. Um, and we've, we've talked a lot about these kind of systemic problems. We've, we've created this system that is, it seems, to not being allowing us to actually um, build deeply into the lives of, of those that we're working with, those that we're discipling or mentoring or, or whatever, uh, those in our churches, in our pews. 
so that they understand that there is a direct correspondence to um, uh, Jesus as Lord and how I act toward my neighbor, toward those mm -hmm. that are sitting next to me at church, mm -hmm. toward those in the workplace. Um, there's a direct correlation between what I believe about who Jesus is and what I do in my extracurricular activities. Um, and there's a the correlation between who Jesus is and the group that I'm belonging to that uh, I'm encouraged to gather with and live life with. And, uh, and so I think that's in part, uh, it, it is indicative of the crisis that we're seeing ourselves in, in, in the United States. Well, in the Western world, and I think, mm -hmm. I think eventually, you know, what we're seeing here as far as trends will reach uh, other parts of the world uh, where, you know, we're exporting these kinds of ideas into other systems that are very much like the system that we're in. And uh, eventually we'll, we'll see the same results. I hope. I mean, I, there's a bit of me that's a pessimist, uh, that, that cynic that I confessed last week that of being like or falling into. And that's, that's along the lines of seeing what we have seen uh, in Europe, those trends line, trend lines, so many walking away from the church, so many uh, moving away from that faith and saying, you know, We'll celebrate Christmas. I have no idea what it really means. <laughs> you know, that that's not, it, it's a holiday. It's fun, but it's not really who I am. It's not part of my identity. I've walked away from the church. Uh, at least I have heard or, or been under the assumption that what we're seeing in England is the precursors of what's coming here, right? That, that it's not so much that the West is affecting, it's that the West has been affected. Um, specifically, I mean to say, again, England being, yes, it is still part of the West, but the United States, that there is this claim that it's there and it's coming. And we here in the United States are seeing a, as we're talking about this study, saying half of the nation isn't sure or confident that mm -hmm. God exists. I'm yeah. not confident just because if God wonderfully, overwhelmingly moves here, that we can be like, and because he's moved here, that's automatically going to have that sneeze effect. Mm. Please go and read Michael's book. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, what are, what are you feeling on at, at least some of my own lack of certainty? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I think in one sense you're correct. I, um, but what's interesting in this whole, the whole dynamics of, of spirituality and religious life in the entire Western world, and mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's safe to say in a, a large part of the world in general, is that while, while people seem to be uh, losing their affections for organized religion, um, they're still very interested in spiritual things. Uh, for some in Western Europe, you know, for years I was studying the growth of uh, uh, neo-pagan beliefs in Western Europe and even in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that continues. Uh, we're, we still continue to see people dabbling in 
uh, witchcraft and astrology and other types of things. Um, in the Western world or in our world, in the United States, one of the areas where we see that dabbling is in uh, the growth of yoga, uh, for example. And so there are spiritual things that still are very attractive to people. Um, they're just leaving the, the system, which we know is broken. Uh, and, uh, and yet, for whatever reason, we continue to propagate that same system uh, rather than adapting it, uh, which is clearly the example that we have in the New Testament of adapting to culture. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's a complex issue and uh, there are many factors that are contributing to it. It's not just simply easily summarized by the secularization theory, which basically said that as a as a country progresses scientifically mm -hmm. uh, and progresses in their level of education, that there will be a corresponding decline of religious belief. And um, yeah, in some cases that seems to be true, but in other cases, you know, there there is a uh, continuing interest and growth in spiritual things, um, and so and that's what kind of debunks, if you will, the secularization theory. Right, and and that's been, I mean, that's there are a number of sociologists, uh, Peter Berger who was one of the early adopters of the secularization theory that later comes out and says, well, no, it's not true because here the United States is a case in point. Um, Rodney Stark as well uh, has, has long held that in, uh, in the case in the West that the secularization theory was based on the assumption that there was at one point a, a vast majority of people who identified as Christian. And he argued, and I agree with him, that uh, we've misunderstood the, the early, uh, especially the, the, the Middle Ages and the level of commitment of people. Um, and I think the same argument can be made here. Uh, so in essence, there wasn't a golden period when Christianity was, you know, the the majority religion, but uh, there was a it real was just lack. Bad data. <laughs> well, yeah, it was it? Yeah, some of it was bad data. Some of it was uh, just just the the circumstances. I mean, they just were not conducive to Christian faith. Um, I mean. You think about the Middle Ages, who in the middle of winter is going to want to go into a cold, dark, damp uh, the church building uh, every week? Well, not many people are going to want to do that. Um, and plus, if they have to travel in the cold to to get there. And so there are, you know, there are other factors that we just haven't thought about because we've grown up uh, in a... Um, under the impression from historians that yes. there was a period of time when, you know, everything was golden and uh, Christianity was thriving and prosperous and, and so on. And the, but when we really look at it, you begin to question on the practical level, was it really that way? And probably it wasn't really that way. So rather than, you know, places that did become increasingly secular in terms of advances in science and industry and so on, 
it doesn't necessarily mean that there was a decline because the growth was never there at the first in the first place. Right. So, and and again, I made the data joke that we just have bad data, but in a way, it's just right sizing uh, what we are looking at. Um, in my mind, especially when you're talking about there was a golden age, and then there was the time before when the golden age was not. Mm. Um, it's it's likely because one of the ways that we determined it was a golden age was because the church buildings were overrun with people. Right. The the the, the buildings are overrun on a Sunday. Um, that was also probably cultural. <laughs> like it got to the point that that's where you go on a Sunday. And if we look, if we, if we start our data point looking backwards and going, well, did they have a lot of people on Sunday? No. Well, that means they didn't have a lot of faith. Hmm. Um, and again, I'm making it more common level. I'm not trying to throw all the sociologists who have done really great historical research um, out the window. I think those are, it's the sociologists and the historians who are saying, hey, I think we may have missed this in the past. Maybe it wasn't as Christian as we once assumed, or rather vice versa, more Christian than we assumed. We just were looking through the, the wrong lens. And, well, I mean, the interesting thing today is uh, because of data like uh, what we're seeing from the general so social survey is that those sociologists who held to the secularization theory are doubling down and saying, well, look, here's proof. Mm -hmm. it, it is happening in the United States after all. There was a point in time when we didn't think it was happening or it was being questioned, but now with this data, uh, there is a decline. It's a certain thing. Secularization theory is true. Uh, so we should no longer listen to Stark and Berger and, and others. Uh, but I think, you know, the data is still out. It's inconclusive in terms of uh, trying to explain the continued spirituality of people. That's still present there. I th and I think that is something that is inherent in us. Uh, we're naturally right. spiritual people. And so we're going to, to naturally look for uh, an alignment of our own spiritual interest to uh, the, what is available to us. And so, you know, sociologists would talk about a religious marketplace. And so now in the United States, it is extremely pluralistic. So there are many options for people to express their sense of spirituality, uh, not just in Christianity. And so in that sense, it's a very competitive marketplace. And uh, the church, in large measure, hasn't adjusted to that and hasn't figured out, you know, how do we, and you don't, I mean, I don't always like to use market terms, but how do we compete in a religiously pluralistic market? Um, but that's not a necessarily a bad way to think about how, how, how is Christianity going to be relevant in a society that is so pluralistic it's hard on one hand we have or had such a wonderful voice in tim keller who hmm. who diligently worked for his uh i'll say the the public portion of his pastoral ministry right he had a very quote-unquote private that none of us were reading or understanding what's, what was happening at Redeemer and then prior to that in Virginia uh, because we weren't a part of his church. He was just busy pastoring. But 
what he started doing there and then expanded into books when he got older was continuing to make the case for there is a reason for God, you know, self book of said title by Keller that he argued heavily for this is not a I can pick science or I can pick God. Um, you can be an intelligent person and pursue Christ and be formed in his image and chase after him. And so part of me really does appreciate those voices like Keller who are going to keep Jesus first and foremost, keep God in the conversation, bring it to the marketplace. Um, however, the claim that Jesus is God and that we preach Christ crucified, that's not going to change. <laughs> Whether that that fact is still going to be the claim that we lean on, whether it's popular or not, whether people want to hear it or not, uh, we preach Christ and him crucified. It, it, that is our faith at its essence. Um, and sometimes the, the idea that we've talked about uh, that, you know, Christians need new marketing, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus needs better advertising. Um, it's the fact that sometimes we as the, his people aren't living out our identities as his followers. Mm. So we are the bad marketers because the claim of, Christ and him crucified isn't changing. It's the church not living into who we are called to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. I just was running through my mind about, you know, how many people have we seen marketing different things that their lives don't really live up to the, the items that they're marketing. And I think that, uh, that that's the same, you know, for the church we're talking about Jesus and yet we're not always living like Jesus. And as a result, you know, people aren't buying what it is that we're selling. Mm -hmm. So, so to speak. So I don't know that. And I would agree. I don't know that, uh, the, the message is, uh, the issue as much as it's the messenger mm -hmm. that is the issue. We have a lot of work ahead of us, I think. Um, I, I, when we look back, you know, this is one second, <clears throat> this is the Ephesiology podcast. We, we truly do exist to look back at what God has done. Look at that very first Christian movement as we pray that God brings about a Christian, a Jesus centered movement today, one that is decentralized, uh, moving forward, spreading his name, raising up faithful believers. We're going to bring others to follow and chase after him uh, in in numbers that we can only dream of, right? These are these are the things that we're so excited about. And we look back to that that first church. It was this this unwavering certainty of of who Jesus is and what he did, mm -hmm. and that North Star. Right. That, that, that single point of focus to chase after, um, that kept them going. And so I look at us now comparing, comparing ourselves to our, our forefathers and say, we, we have, we have a lot of changing to do. And so I don't look at our society at large, uh, with the tisk tisk. 
and say, um, you know, shame on you all. You've walked away from God. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get on everybody else when the first people that need to do the changing are ourselves. It's us. We need to uh, look in the mirror first before we look at society and say, you know, oh no, we're going to hell in a handbasket. Um, I think we're the ones who stepped away first and uh, need to repent. Everybody's mm -hmm. favorite thing. Uh, need to repent, come back to Jesus a little more clearly. Yeah. 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 Well, like, like we've been saying, it's a complex issue for certain. Um, but you're right. I do think that we can look back and see uh, what the early church did because in, I, I mean, in some ways the, our context is vastly different than the first and second centuries, but in other ways, there are a lot of similarities. I mean, the, the similarities that I see is that there was a religious establishment in the first and second century that the church uh, had to navigate. And, uh, and of course, we have that establishment now. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, and so what, what is it going to take for us to bring change in that establishment or, or not? It, it, you know, you think of, uh, or at least I do, Matthew, is it Matthew 9? uh 17 that we uh we don't want to pour new wine into old wineskins because those wineskins will burst so we pour new wine into new wineskins and so is there a new wineskin that uh it needs to emerge so that you know there's a freshness um uh, and a space for the church truly to grow um, is there really a, a paradigm shift that has to happen? And in some places, we're seeing this. I mean, I've been very encouraged with the time that we spent at the movement leaders gathering and conversations that we've had with with folks there and in other places. And um, you know, I'm encouraged with the the thinking that's taking place and the 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 excitement that change can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, so I think we're beginning to realize that, yeah, there are certain things that we need to do, not just methodologically. I mean, changing our methods isn't really the answer. I think changing who we are right. uh, based on Christ being Lord of our lives and acting like that and, and, and belonging together I think those are the real key things. And the early church can help us in that way. Um, and that's very encouraging to me to be able to look back to our forefathers and uh, see the things that they did and how, um, you know, they weren't focusing on methods of winning people to Christ, but they were just simply living out their lives and People became attracted to those lifestyles and lives began to change. And the, yes, there was gospel proclamation going on Absolutely. as well. Um, but it was, uh, it was all of that together uh, mm -hmm. that was working to see the early church grow. Right. Those fivefold gifts were being used in abundance in coordination with one another. Uh, Christ was proclaimed um, and people were turning their lives to a winsome proclamation uh, and demonstration and yep. and his church crew yeah 
Well, Michael, I think we have come to the end of this thread. And so uh, any any nuggets you want to throw in to our conversation of how we're going to change the world? Uh, well, I don't know that we're going to do that. Uh, yeah. We're not to well, the end you know of that, what? Right? I'm, I, I am excited. The next couple of weeks, we have a, a couple of guests coming on the podcast, uh, one to talk about leadership. And I'm really excited to have Lance Ford uh, join us and the other one hasn't confirmed yet, so I won't share uh, about who this one is, but I'm excited about the topic of mental health in the church. Mm. And uh, it, because that's that's an area where, boy, we need to give more attention to that because the, it's not just COVID, but I think there's been a, a history of uh, neglect in the met mental health area. And uh uh, this would be a great place for the church to step in and and help. And of course, we're. I mean, gosh, I just wrote that blog uh, <laughs> the other day about gun violence, and they're everybody's you know, favorite topic. I know, I know. Well, this will be interesting, of course, to see that you, where where I go with a, a missiologist's interpretation of the Second Amendment. Um, but, uh, but the, you know, how connected mental health has been to the mass shootings that we're seeing around the country. And I mean, gosh, it's happening uh, on a daily basis, if not multiple times a day. And so, so not that we're going to solve this problem, but, um, but yeah, we're, we're, uh, I'm excited about the guests that we have coming on. Well, this is going to be a good road as we uh, move towards summer hiatus. We got, like we said, a few more episodes. We will get some recorded. We will get them out to you all. And then at some point later in the summer, Michael and I will take a reprieve. We will collect ourselves. We'll breathe a little bit. And then we'll prep for what will be the next season. Uh, but we're not dropping dates because who knows what the Lord will do in our lives. And if we give the opportunity to talk to some guests, we're not going to turn them down and say, <laughs> I'm sorry, you have come to us on our hiatus. You can come back to us in a few months. Um, but there, those things are coming. So we want to put that to you. Yeah. And I, I mean, just one other thing it, uh, occurs to me that I'm going to be joined by uh, That's right. uh, That's right. Donald Patrick Harris, Dr. Donald Patrick Harris and Dr. David Pfizer to talk about Jesus in the book of Hebrews. And uh, we've kind of envisioned this idea of rediscovering Jesus in the New Testament documents. And we did a, uh, a series on the book of Revelation uh, last year, I guess it's been last year, year and a half or two years ago yeah. now. At some point in the past. Yeah. And now we're going to pick it up with the book of Hebrews. And what a great book to yes. learn about Jesus. And I'm super excited about getting back together with these guys and doing theology and community. So we'll, we'll have that on the podcast. And then, of course, that'll be available on our Masterclasses uh, website as well. Y'all, if you can't catch it, th this is an exciting time in the life of ecclesiology. So beyond uh, just listening to us on this podcast, and for that, we thank you. Thank you for taking your time to listen with us. We do invite you to, to jump on this moving train that is ecclesiology. Uh, go on our website, ephesiology.com, or check out masterclasses.ephesiology.com. Uh, check out, if you're, if you're wanting to put your toes in the water, 
as we do theology and community, you can check out some of our free courses. Or if you're excited about this potential to pursue a degree and grow in your theological education, uh, jump in. We've got some more classes that you can take. So go and investigate. But for Michael and myself, thank you very much for joining us on the Ephesiology Podcast.